Business Women Rock, episode 58. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. I am so excited that you're here. Let's get right on into it. My guest today is Nicole Yeary, who's the co-founder of Ms. Tech. Ms. Tech was actually a group that she formed as a Facebook group back in 2010 because she wanted an opportunity for women in technology to really come together and share resources and, you know, just kind of not repeat the same things that other women in tech were really going through. So she started it as a Facebook group. It then turned into an actual offline in-person group that she runs out of Chicago, and it has grown into 1,200 members since 2010. She's really doing amazing things, and I'm so excited for you to hear her story of what she was doing beforehand and how she's built up this organization and how she makes sure to provide her members value. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to tell your story today because you and I have so many similarities. <laughs> and <laughs> not only do we run actual kind of in-person organizations, but we also were running online organizations and online communities and things like that and doing it within the space of women in business. And so I'm so excited for everyone to hear your story today. It's an amazing one. You have the company Mistech, and what I really want to be able to get into before we really describe what Mistech is all about, I want you to give us a little bit of a background as to why you started the company, what was happening in your life right before, and like what was that impetus for starting it? No, that's great. It's really an evolution and continues to be so, but I spent most of my career working for insurance companies, and I had most recently worked for a health insurance company in sales and climbed the ladder and did really well. And we reached a point where there was a lot of changes in the healthcare um, back in 2008. And I had been laid off. And I wanted to take all that information that I had learned and all the people I had talked to and the stories I heard and build something out of it and create a new solution for health insurance. Out of that, I ran into more challenges than I had ever run into in corporate world, mostly around trying to hire someone that had the skill sets to help me build my vision. And so I needed a HIPAA certified developer to build this website and they would get salaries in upwards of $200,000. Oh and I just, <laughs> That's yeah. a little hard to swallow for a startup. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So how am I going to do that? And or people usually meet them while they're in college. For me, these are people that are working for hospitals and already have careers. So I realized I would need to raise capital and really quantify how much I needed to raise and, and go through the same process that anybody else does when it comes to approaching VCs. However, at that time, five years ago, that was really new to me. And business as an entrepreneur 
I would say is the complete opposite from my corporate experience. So I started realizing as I was going to brunch with other women here in Chicago, which I was new to, I'd only been here for three months and going to brunch and we would talk about things that we were doing in business and freelancing. A lot of people have been laid off around that time. And it seemed like we were all reinventing the wheel on our own. And I thought, why don't we just do a Facebook group, but I don't want any spam. And I was very, very strict about what could be posted. And if you were going to promote yourself anyway, it had to be through helping another woman. So to this day, the Facebook group is really where we started. And it has grown tremendously, but it's been private, pre-vetted, and stays very close to our purpose. You talked a, a little bit about, okay, this is invite-only Facebook group, so you were really having control over who was coming in and who wasn't. You set the standard for what that group was all about and how they would act, and it, that definitely translates offline too, but I want to talk about how you did that uh, online. How did you truly control over what people were posting in that group and what they weren't? Yeah, um, that's that's really a challenge. So for me, I've been in other LinkedIn groups and you, know, you get the messages and it seemed like people would post about their events and things that they were doing. And to me, that didn't seem very engaging or interactive. And while we, I, I very much believe that women should promote what they're doing, I just didn't feel it was the place for that. I think there's a time and place for it. And if we want to come together and help one another, we're, there are ways that we can really promote ourselves by just showcasing our skill sets. If someone has a question, proving kind of that we're the expert in that field because we can help give them a tip and then, you know, kind of entice them to hire you maybe to do work for you later. But in the group, I started with eight women that were my friends that I had been meeting with for brunch. And they slowly, as they saw value in it, invited their friends. And this network just grew to be very robust. But the things that I did weren't always liked by everybody either. (laughs) I had to make the decision to have one rule, which was no self-promotion. And there were a lot of people who fought me on that, seeing that I wasn't being supportive of women. But I know in the back of my mind the way I would view a community and the um, value was more in when I would receive help versus being able to share and tout what I had done. So what I valued is what I wanted to instill in the group because I felt like there was a need for that and there was like a missing piece in every other group I had been a part of. So the questions, like the basic things, like do I do an LLC? Do I do a C-Corp? Do I just stay as a freelancer for now? What, you know, how do you make those decisions? I think that when that, that road is traveled for the first time, people have those very same questions and they repeat themselves and it's very cyclical in our group. But it's nice to see attorneys that do that for a living be able to position themselves as thought leaders or experts and help one another and not really be selling. And that seems to feel better than the reverse. So what was your actual format and probably still today, what is your format that you use? Like what are some of the actual realities of what you do to set up structure within the Facebook group? Like do you have something that happens every Monday? Or I, I Obviously you've sort of oh. given everyone like, okay, here's the expectation, like no self-promotion. But is it just kind of a free-for-all? Like people putting stuff in there or do you have structure to it? So the Facebook group itself, I wanted it to be very simple. So Facebook group runs with that one rule, which is no self-promotion. We posted over the last year, we came up with more concrete guidelines that we've added as a PDF that people could download. But I don't not let anybody in the group if they you know, are a woman. To this day, I've actually never really denied anybody access to the group. If someone invites someone, I always approve it. And I think that 
for us, it's just been nobody wants really that kind of spammy feeling. So they, they only they like the idea of being able to invite someone to an exclusive group too is what they tell me often. Being able to say, hey, I know these really rocking women and I want you to meet them too. And I think that you would either benefit by being able to share your expertise or maybe you're in a pinch and you don't know tech very well. Here are some women that do and post your question because you won't feel, they, they feel safe in that environment to post things and feeling ignorant in ways when it comes to technology, which is a big part of what we do. The the Mondays thing, that's all blog stuff that we started to create to give an outside profile. So at first we were very private and we didn't have a public facing page. We didn't, nobody knew really who we were for the group itself. And our name was even crowdsourced within the group. Gotcha. So you asked everyone, hey, what should we be called? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> what, what should we call ourselves? And we went around and we don't want to be called girls anything. And so someone had posted Ms. Tech and the name stuck. <laughs> That's great. I love that. As a matter of fact, we just did that. We launched not so long ago the BWR Connect, which is the Facebook group for the Business uh. Women Rock community. And we did the exact same thing. We were like, ladies, what should we call this group? Here's what it's going to be about. And that's actually exactly how we got our name. So very effective. (laughs) Yes. When in doubt, ask them. (laughs) I'm telling you. And I'm spending so much time on this Facebook page because we're going to get into how your business has grown offline now and what the actual structure of your company is. And I just think it's very powerful that it truly started on a Facebook page and or on a Facebook yeah. group and has grown out of that. And you have been able to attract people who truly believe in what you're doing, want to support other women in their business journeys and have great resources to share with them. So tell us about why you decided to then take it offline. Like at what point, how big was the group? Why did you make that decision to really start actually meeting up in person? They asked for it. So it was kind of funny because I created this group and it unknowingly really created a job for myself. I freelanced as an SEO consultant for a long time and also a photographer. And through that, my intention was to eventually build this healthcare website, right? But I quickly realized that this was a lot of work to kind of keep up with. The more it grew, and then they started asking for meetups. And so I'm like, okay, well, we can meet up. What do we do? You know, I've never, I never organized any event in my life <laughs> besides like maybe uh, a birthday party for my mom or my brother. But um, <laughs> so I was like, how do I even go about that? You know, to, and I really just had to like calling maybe a local sushi place. We all met up and that's how I actually met my co-founder, Lisa, because she came to one of those events early on and we met and we would just literally hang out and talk and we didn't have any sponsors. There was probably about 10 or 15 of us that would meet. And I would always send out a survey after every meetup because it was interesting to me what other people valued. And I didn't know if what I valued was necessarily what the entire group or the averages would, would uh, favor. So to me, like getting that kind of the ear to the crown to figure out what do you like and what do you want more of? And when I realized, you know, I'm not the only one with these questions, how can we continue to foster a conversation around helping one another? Because especially when it comes to resources, I guess women-owned businesses contribute at 6% of our workforce. So it's a very low amount, which tells me they're not hiring as much as they possibly could if they had, you know, the resources to do that. So how can we kind of create something out of nothing by leaning on each other. I would get the feedback that would say, I want educational stuff. Like, can we do something that 
you know, the, the mixers are great, but I want more. <laughs> so I did my first panel with uh, Groupon. They have an organization within the company called Women at Groupon, and they were the most fantastic people because they had a team and they sponsored everything and they even put like mistech labels on the wine bottles. Oh, how cool. <laughs> and, yeah. And there was a little touches like that. And we brought in, it was February and we did a focus on women building technology applications that had to do with love. So we had a woman with a love, Lovender, which is an app for, you know, husband and wife gifting and, you know, cheek.com, which is a, a dating online, but the reverse and project fix up who does actual dating connections and pretty much a matchmaker. And so I had them on panel to feature them because I, I think that the other part of it is we don't see enough women who are doing really awesome things as entrepreneurs in tech and building startups highlighted enough. And that was two years ago. Did you just say dating online, but the reverse was one of those things? Yeah. What is that exactly? Yeah. I'm trying to think like, uh, are you going online to say, hey, I want to break up with you? <laughs> no, if you see someone, you have like a business card that's got a code on it and you just drop it and they put in that code on the website and they find your profile. And if you're interested, you could send them a message. So if you see a good looking other match possibly for you and you want to approach them, but you don't really have the gumption to say something specific and don't want to, you know, cheesy pickup lines, <laughs> give them the card and then you walk away. That's um, funny. And actually you <laughs> should talk to the girl. Her name is Lori and she, I'm, I will definitely connect the two of you because she'd be, she's a woman who rocks for sure. <laughs> so, okay. So then you put on this panel that was uh -huh. two years ago, you said, and, and you really obviously got the feedback that obviously kicked off this whole idea of, okay, we as women want education about how to be better at running our companies or how to build our companies or how to be connected to resources that are going to help our companies, right? Right. From that, all of our events were free. We would have an upwards of 200 people there. Wow. And after that, that one event, so Lori um, on the panel, she was actually doing a Google Hangout with us. So she wasn't there with us. She was in New York and we did a Google Hangout with her on a huge screen. But um, afterwards, the tweets that she got and she had an angel investor reach out to her after that and just the, the tweets that she got from the women who were attending the event and the women attending the event saying how, much, how empowered they felt to hear her struggles and how things that she did living on a couch for a few months just so that she could save up enough money to get that hosting or to get the developer that she needed for a mobile app, whatever it might have been, just knowing that those are the sacrifices that she made because she still has this vision that she wants to see through. You said that you, you know, these were free events at first. Can you walk us through your current business model? I'm making the assumption that the Facebook group was free. Your events at first were free. What is your business model? How are you generating revenue? Yeah, so our that was very challenging for me because the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt the dynamic of a community that we had built together because I don't see it as my community. I see it as really their networks, which are very, very, to me, I think precious uh, when someone brings someone they know in and, and that's trusted. So I didn't want anybody to feel like they were being, you know, monetized in any way. So we added elements to what we already had versus taking what we had been giving for free and, and changing that. So we found too that, you know, when people sign up for events that are free, you know, only half of them are going to show up. So having a little bit of skin in the game, keeping them less than $20 when it comes to a panel type of event to pay for food and things like that is really acceptable. So for me, I look at what 
the bigger picture was and stepping back and saying, what do I really want to accomplish out of this group? What can we, what can we actually fix if we focus on some things? And for us, it's helping more women see those resources. So identifying first that they have a full-time job, how do I quantify how much I need to sell in order for me to leave my full-time job? Because what happens a lot of times, they have these full-time jobs, they trying to start a business, they get burned out and they quit that business and they're still not happy. And no one likes to see that. And they'd probably be really great at that business, but um, helping them kind of figure out those financials and getting to the next steps. We had a membership model. We felt that we could provide those workshops for those type of classes and helping them get through different stages and allowing women in the group who had those skill sets to teach those classes and be looked at as the experts because we know we're not going to be the experts in every topic. We have them in the group. So we just do a big knowledge share. And we still have free events on Wednesdays. We do lunch. And any question that goes unanswered in the Facebook group, we bring an expert in in that field and we talk about it for an hour. And we share positive and negatives and we get takeaways from it. And if it's a really great topic, we put a mind map together and plug it into our, our blog so that others can see it and, and um, try to give some sort of shareable piece and takeaway. But for us, it's it, the membership was is our, is our business model. Um, so we have annual memberships, $365 a year or $35 a month. And if you're going to two events a month, that would be a better value than buying two tickets. So in theory, you could go when you have your membership with us, all of our workshops that we have throughout the month are free to you. And we have office hours for women who are going through that, those early, we, we speak to women who are very early stage. So, you know, they're not sure where they should go for an attorney or even when it comes to finding a co-founder or someone that can help them build a mobile app. So helping them with those, those early things to getting those pieces pulled together so they can get a little bit of momentum, but also pitching was a big part of what we saw as an opportunity. Um, me personally being my, my pain point was that I couldn't, you know, I didn't know how to raise capital. And so after five years, what I've learned and then bringing others into the mix that can teach us, we started what we call a pitch camp and we just had our first group kind of graduate from that two weeks ago and all of them have received phone calls from investors or angel investors or VCs. And they got this bonding experience. It was like a, a six to eight week programs that we offer. And that way we have them go through an actual starting point and take them step by step through building their, their pitch deck so that they can actually go confidently and say, articulate what it is that they want to build so they can secure that funding. Or if they already have their business, be able to scale and get more money so they can hire the appropriate people in their business. I love that. That's great. Yeah. So I don't know. We soak it up, especially when I see the group that just graduated and they were all like so excited for one another. They were competing, but at the same time they were, they were, you know, rooting for one another. And that to me is really powerful. What I love about that is that you're building out programming depending on what people are asking you for. And, you know, you have the flexibility to do that within a membership organization, this kind of pool of women who are just, they're waiting for you to put out the program and then, you know, they can jump on board and participate. Let's talk about how many members you have in your group. How many, how many current members do you have? 1,200, a little over 1,200. 
So twelve hundred, and this is in your physical group, or I guess I guess once you join the Facebook group, like you're considered a part of the part of the organization, or you have to actually join as a member in order to be considered part of the organization. No, so yeah, if they're if they're in the Facebook group, or even on our meetup page, we have a meetup group. We have a free membership, so all those items that we do, like the Wednesday mastermind sessions, those are free for our free members, and. If they want to take it a step further, we call it upgrading their membership. So they can upgrade their membership because they want to invest in themselves. They see that, you know, really for everything that we offer, the $365 a year, one, they believe in our cause, which is huge. They know that we want to see a difference made and that those numbers um, when it comes to uh, female-founded startups and the venture capital that that is being dispersed. And two, that they're going to walk away with some things that, that are greater value than you can get or go out and buy, which would be access to our networks. So every woman that is in the group and on our council, so that's the other part. And I, I actually failed to mention that at a certain point when I got to, I couldn't handle it myself. I had to figure out how I could keep this going. And I don't have any money to hire people because it was still a free group at that time. So we organized a council and took applications from women in the group who were interested in taking a more of a leadership role and helping me kind of like think tank wise, figure out what, what do we focus on and how do we take all that information from the surveys and build something out of that that's valuable. And each one of them have their own companies and one of them had come to me and said, Hey, I want to, I want to do a pitch night. And it was the first one we'd ever done. But out of that pitch night, she found her and met her lead investor, and they just raised a million dollars this year in their seed round, which is pretty high for Chicago. And to me, that was so exciting to know that if we have more of those pitch nights, we can have more of those conversations and see more women meet their lead investors. So that council has been a very, very key part of the entire process and they continue to be really the women who um, support the group but in turn it's very important for me to also support their businesses in some ways some of them have PR companies uh, consulting firms or um, they're an actual startup tech startup so finding a way that we can work together in a partnership that's valuable to both especially with their time and we have eight members on the council that give us so much of their time and make a big difference in the community. And and those office hours are kind of spread amongst all of us. Nicole, what have been some of your most challenging moments since really starting this group? Well, the most challenging was the year where I decided to focus all of my time on it and take a step back from clients and bring them more clients and move back to Chicago. So I had moved to to Ohio with my mom. I had some things in my personal life and she had gotten sick. And so I moved to Ohio and then I, I was like, within a year, I have to go back to Chicago because that's where our group is, you know, that's where Ms. Tech is. And every month I was coming back once or twice, I would organize the events, come here to attend them and be a part of them and then go back on the train all the way back to Cleveland. And I would do that. I would basically use the money that we were making from those events to plan the next one and the money I was making, you know, working with my dad at the time to pay for my travel to get back and forth here. So my goal is to get back here, be injected back in the community and get things rocking again (laughs) because being a part of it is uh, and immersed in it is 
a big part of knowing the problems that exist uh, when it comes to what we see us being able to provide solutions. So last year was probably one of the hardest because we weren't, we didn't launch our membership program until end of February, early March of this year. So I was operating on very, very little funds, but that was probably when I learned the most too. You know, you, you dig down deep and you realize you know, some of those things that, that you you kind of lose sight of when you're going fast and you're, you're moving and you don't have to worry about day-to-day things. And then you kind of, you kind of, you know, step back a little bit and, and see it from the eyes of others or, or maybe like you once did. You know, I had progressed so quickly in my career that it was unfamiliar to me to know what it was like to kind of not, you know, have a lot of extra spending money, if any at all. So, there were a few months that were very rough for me, but I, I knew that like if I can get, I quantified for myself three months and I can get this, get this going. If I do this and focus on it, because focus is key. My mentor um, had said that to me. He's like, you just have to, to take all of that energy that you do with all these different things. If you just focus that energy on one place that you feel like you can make the biggest impact in life that you would be the happiest with, then you do that. And he's like, I think you should do it with Miss Tech, but that's my opinion. And <laughs> I really wanted to. It just didn't seem like it would be a viable option. You know, you hear all the time that maybe you should be a nonprofit, but I think our generation is proving that a social enterprise, a social good, a, a for-profit company can be both and can be sustainable and even scale when it comes to helping people. So let's talk about that. What are your ideas as far as scaling this company? What does that look like to you? Oh, it's so exciting <laughs> um, because everywhere I, I look, I, you see women that need help. So to me, the excitement of scaling is just being able to have the resources to reach that far. So the plan is to build collectives in different cities, but I believe it has to be done carefully and it has to be done with a team of people. So we are requiring that three people start a collective together and they're the founding members of that collective in their city. And when that city start implementing the same programs that we've done here, the processes that we went through of learning over the last couple of years, what works, what doesn't work, what does she value, what does she not value, and what helps her get to that next level in business, because that's really why we exist, so that she can kind of see out her dream and also be sustainable. So globally, there's a need, but even when we look at like rural areas, so not New York, not Chicago, but the areas like a Cleveland or like um, some of your rural rural areas of the country don't have the resources that we have in the city. So if we can even bring that to them, I think about all the difference that we can make, especially when we consider structure of a pitch camp that can be implemented. But also we've been asked recently to bring our membership to companies and promote entrepreneurship and kind of help them stand out as a tech company. They recognize that diversity is very important still and not to be overlooked and that they are empowering the women that work for them by providing them um, a membership to Miss Tech. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so if we can continue with this programming and we have organizations, and there's two that I'm talking to right now that I hadn't thought about it in that perspective, But there's a lot of women out there that are in tech and um, are challenged every day because it's not as diverse. And so being able to run a program for entrepreneurs and tech professionals has always been the yin and yang of Ms. Tech because 
women who have a new company that don't know anything about tech need to hire another person to do that tech work or they want to be able to pay them. They've always fed one another in the group at a very early stage. So as we grow, I didn't really picture that a corporation would be a part of that. It it never even crossed my mind until people came to me over the last month and had said, this is a problem. Twofold, one, minority women in their culture are are really ingrained not to speak up to men. And so when they see an opportunity or a problem, they're not speaking up. And that is actually detrimental to the company because they're not knowing about these problems, right? So how can they how can they get these women into a place of where they feel comfort? And there's a woman who has an Indian culture and she wants to lead that initiative. And I'm behind her 100% because I think those are the little pieces. If you can recognize that, within even the women in tech problem, fixing those little gaps, I think are going to make a larger difference. And when we have, if we have companies that are, that are interested and that actually care and and want to do that, that's not only making an investment in their, their, their employees, but their community and the problem at large. And that's very exciting to me, like I said earlier. So I think that while we, we believe that the collectives are going to be a huge part, having those, to be relationships will make a world of difference and actually be a, a point where we won't probably need to raise capital with that in place. What are some of the tools that you use that, you know, really make you building your business that much easier? For me, over time, it's the basics. I think that good design and um, good branding from an early, early, early stage is important because it starts to tell people more about who you are from the very beginning. So if you have the ability or at least the eye to to make the extra effort to have an image with everything. So I create a graphic for anything I post on uh, Facebook with whether it be an event or, you know, I'm going to publish just a little like tidbit of advice that I found inspiring, put our branding on that. And it's very easy to do. You know, I use Keynote for everything. I don't use Photoshop. I don't use any fancy tools. I literally use Apple's Keynote and it's very simple. And I do that. Most of my day is spent within Keynote at some point. Also WordPress is very simple to get a website started with WordPress and we don't really need anything fancy. We just use Stripe program that's, um, really kind of coded in and that way that's how all of our memberships are put on a subscription basis. And for the, you know, day-to-day things, I use Evernote like crazy to, to save ideas and inspiration and thoughts I have and, and even keeping myself organized in a lot of ways. And those are probably the basic tools I use to kind of manage my day in my calendar. Can't live without my calendar, of course, but who <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, can, right? <laughs> what do you do too to make sure that you are staying really innovative about your business? I mean, there it's one thing to actually, you know, be kind of digging in on a day-to-day basis and kind of doing the to-do things that need to get done. But what are you doing right. to make sure that you're maintaining that role as the strategist and staying sharp about that? Are there particular books that you have read that have really impacted that? Are there mastermind groups that you are a part of? What are you doing to make sure you are staying sharp as a businesswoman? Well, I follow VCs on the West Coast. Like, probably I stalk them. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I follow them on Twitter very closely, and and I read everything that they share. And I get the notifications on my phone because I feel like 
wherever you're at in the country, right? There, you're surrounded by your community, and which is a great thing. But if we get too focused on that, we can't think big. We can't think large, picture, like big picture of, you know, I I can do this. I I I have. I'm empowered to do that because thinking outside of even just a small area. And when I read the advice that they give, it's fresh and it's new from what I hear locally. And I read their blogs. Like the only blogs I will get an actual email from are Brad Feld. I read everything he shares. There's, you know, both sides of the table is another blog I, I read regularly. And I think he has great advice for it. And I think it also for me as a woman is also nice to know from these people that we don't have such a, the old boys club as some call it. I want to, I want to know and learn from what they have so that we can start instilling some of that into our group and or responding to it in a way that's more natural for us. And also a book I read recently, you know, I think picking up old books and reading them again at different stages. I wasn't fundraising before. I was a freelancer or consultant and picking up the book venture deals and reading through it and figuring out how do you do equity splits when you have your co-founder and and what if someone else comes in the picture? How do you change that up and what does that look like for you and and the people in your company or in future employees? In, In addition to that, I would say I read source material from Google constantly, use all of their apps, and I think that their advice directly is, is much better to me than any opinion blogs or, or you know, even some of those sites that, that are intended to help you with business tools and that. I find going to the source is very cut and dry. It's, not, it's kind of boring. There's no pictures, but been very, very helpful when it comes to even the SEO knowledge I've picked up has been all through their videos and their blogs. So I like to read a lot, and I think that most of it comes from either following them personally and even women on the West Coast. Uh, Danielle Morell, I follow on Twitter very closely, too, and she's just a spitfire and got a great company called Mattermark that produces data, and I read that data and, and just dig into it and feel like I learn so much just from observing what, what she's built. So. Nicole, I really want to take a second just to say thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so fascinated by your journey and just really commend you for building up such an amazing community that has everywhere to go up. I mean, you're just continuing to build. So big congratulations on really truly having an impact on the women in business and giving them a space to be able to get the education that they need and the resources that they need. And for your own journey, I mean, it's just, I really appreciate you sharing where you've come from and how you've built the community and what your plans are from here on out. It's You're doing great things. So thank you so much for being on the show here today. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate it. notes for today's show at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 58. Okay, so there were two major takeaways that I got from my conversation with Nicole. The first was that she surveys all of her members after every single event because she's really interested in, in making sure she knows what is truly of interest to them, what their needs truly are, and not totally relying just on her own experience and her vantage point to be able to dictate that. And the second major lesson I got was that she created a council that was really um, culminating the leaders of the organization and giving them an opportunity to be leaders 
and and help manage the entire membership. And I just thought that that was brilliant. A great um, example of delegation and a really great example of, you know, giving an opportunity for people to be leaders to make an impact. It's sort of multi-layered impact, you know, through her members and the education she's providing. There's great impact there and it's making a difference. And then also the impact that these leaders are now having on the organization. I just thought that that was really powerful. So Thank you so much for listening today. I will see you on the next episode.